Thanks for tuning in to Grace Bible Church Podcast. This is a special segment we're currently calling Sunday Recap. Special conversations we're having about life and faith throughout the week. Be sure to browse to begrace.org slash podcast to listen to more conversations and sermons. I'm Joey Colon, assistant pastor here at Grace Bible Church. I'm Chris Webster. I do worship and communications. And I'm Dave McMurray. I'm the preaching pastor and senior pastor here. Well, this week Dave was actually here with us. Well, I guess he was here mm-hmm. last week too, but actually here teaching from the Word. He was in Galatians this week in our uh, mini-series before we moved to Joseph series in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. What's our mini-series called? Is there a name for we it? We didn't really name it. It's just four weeks of community life sermons. So That's a title right there. Huh? There we go. I four just weeks named of it. Community four weeks about community life. I remember we said. Do we start with It's Just? It's Just. It's Just. Four weeks. Sorry, it's just four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Stop I've lost control me, already. Well, Chris, will you read Galatians 2, uh, 11 through 21 for us? Yes, yes. Uh, let's see. Galatians 2, 11, starting at verse 11, says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when he came... But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by, the, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works by the law, of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor we to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> David, would you summarize for us, I guess since you're here this week, instead of us summarizing somebody else's work, you can just uh, give us your summary. I have my notes if you don't want to do that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, how about I summarize and then you can correct me if I say it wrong. <laughs> uh, so I called it Walk by Faith. Um, the main kind of negative, incriminating uh, statement that Paul makes at, at Peter or Cephas, as he's called in the text, is that he's not walking in step with the gospel, that what he's doing is not in agreement. And so, just talked about how in the Christian life, we struggle to walk in line with the truth and walk in line with the gospel. And there are three ways we kind of veer off course. One is through tribalism, one is uh, through uh, identification with our works, and one is through sin. So, my 
I had long points. It was walk by faith in Christ, not tribalism. Walk by faith in Christ, not works. Walk by faith in Christ, not sin. And so just tried to kind of take the text as it appeared in that order. And so you summarized all of them kind of by saying putting your faith in flesh instead of mm-hmm. uh, walking by faith, right? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. right in yeah, the beginning. Different ways. Kinda, yeah. yeah, and that, and I veered in and out of that, I think, in different ways in the two services. Sometimes I kind of ad-lib a little bit. And, but that's a big theme in Galatians. It's like flesh versus faith or works versus faith. You know, it kind of Paul interchanges some of those things throughout the book of Galatians. Um, so these are the these are like the false saviors we're tempted to trust in, right? We're tempted to trust in our tribe, our culture. Uh, we're tempted to trust in our achievements, our works. Um, and I think flesh summarizes that really well, actually, you know. Our flesh is like the strength of who we are, which could be genetic, you know, like, hey, I come from a great family. I'm trusting in that. That's my flesh. Or look at what I've done, you know, what I've achieved in my life. And I think I went into this more in the first service and the second service, but Americans, we tend to think more individualistically what I've accomplished and kind of different cultures all over the world divide this up differently. But uh other cultures tend to think more corporately. They tend to think more in terms of what we're a part of. Maybe it's nation or state or family or tribe. So you summarized tribe as ethnicity, as culture, as race. Mm-hmm. What? All of the above. Something? All of the above. All of the above. Yeah, I think that's why it's tricky for people because um, I've had a lot of conversations. We studied a book this summer called uh, "Building a Healthy Multi-Ethnic Church." And people get real touchy about race issues in our country. I don't know if you know this, but we have a history of bad vibes on that subject. And so when you talk about it, people get real upset. Either they want to dive right in and make race super central to everything, or they really want to avoid it. And they're like, I'm tired of talking about race, and it's not that important, or it doesn't matter. And um, tribe and ethnicity in the biblical sense is, a, is an overlapping term. It, it could be race. It could be religion, you know. Um, it could be the, w- the world view, you know. So th- I think the world, the word is flexible. Mm. Well, it's fascinating to me not to go too far on this tangent, but mm-hmm. coming from communications world, um, branding and uh, marketing—it's very much started to be talked about in tribal terms. So, mm-hmm. um, so there's companies and you know that are tr- basically trying to. Well. Let me back up, but I think what you said really triggered this for me. What's fascinating is because we're so individualistic and because we've kind of been cut off or, or are cut off from our roots, we're longing for for a tribe. We're longing mm-hmm. to belong to some, some bigger group of people. And so it's mm-hmm. interesting as Americans, I see us staring out at other tribes and saying, man, if I could only be part of that. Or, you know, that's even sometimes how we shop and I identify with that and that becomes all-consuming you see it in high school with with different uh, or at least <laughs> read about it in high school <laughs> i was homeschooled so i don't know about these things we didn't have those tribes it's i was real. my own tribe clicks were uh, real and they were horrible yeah i think but, but right no too. so i mean <laughs> is the cliche yeah. true right yeah, of, of yeah. jocks and totally. goths and whatever you know yeah and that becomes your 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 whole identity so mm. um i just think it's interesting that we're kind of filling that that hole in that need of of tribe with even how we shop these days or at least uh companies are are cluing into that and using that so data mining it yeah man that's crazy right so 
it's a thing in so many different aspects, yeah. I guess. So, yeah, big data can, can they can figure out what tribe we associate with, even if we're not sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't really want to go on that tangent. <laughs> I watched right. something that is <laughs> crazy about it and yeah. scary. Yeah, um, we'll put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, so you spent about 33 minutes talking about tribalism about four minutes talking about works and about two and a half minutes talking about sin um not really i didn't time it but it was close it, it was second was service i noticed the time that. and it was 25 minutes first point point and introduction so introduction plus first point was 25 minutes in the first service it was probably long or second service it was probably longer in the one you were in well, I was in the first service, yeah. but I listened to the second service okay. as prep for this. So okay. gotcha. I was pretty impressed that you took um, what was 30 minutes on Thursday and turned it into like 47. But yes. I was thinking... Be- I have a gift of expansion. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> expansion. I haven't seen that in the list of gifts, yeah. but I'm sure it's there. Um, Third Corinthians. I guess I was thinking you have plenty of content to tell me about Peter not doing... Like the section on Peter not doing it was wrong. Mm. You mentioned a little bit like if he didn't do it out of fear, just like of not looking good, or fear of like mm. actual harm. Harm, yeah. Thanks. I was gonna say hurt. Harm, hurt. such a better word. Mm. Actual fear of of physical bodily harm or just not looking good. It was still wrong either way. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about Peter's. Cephas in the text, um, why it was wrong even before, not why it was wrong, because that's when we get into tribalism and works and sin, but like what in general was wrong about it? Well, kind of what drove my thinking on that subject was the research I've done into the civil rights movement and the, the, I'd say, racist failures of my tribe (laughs) a generation ago, right? So... I was born in 73, so I was born right when the civil rights uh, movement had just kind of ended in our country. So I think I grew up with an understanding that, oh, everything's fine now. We worked that out. That was kind of what I was taught. And then I started doing more research, reading the history, and just realizing how fresh those wounds were and how, I mean, people of my generation were not mistreated to the same degree as people of a previous generation. But all the people of the previous generation were still alive and kicking and had those experiences, you know. So, mm. so I grew up in a world where it was all very fresh and real, um, but I don't think really realized how fresh and real it was until I, I dug deeper. And so I think I went through this process of thinking, I'm a pastor in an evangelical church. What would it have been like to be a pastor in an evangelical church in 1960 or 1955 or 65 or whatever? during these times when there was a lot of systemic racism in the South. Um, and I just became convicted that that there were things that people didn't get involved with because it wasn't safe. They didn't, they didn't want to stand up for others, and they justified it and said, well, it's not my problem, and so I don't have to say anything, or I don't have to go to the city council meeting and talk about this, or I don't have to vote in a way that Um, changes this, or I don't have to speak up to the people that are being racist. And I think a lot of evangelicals pulled back. Now, to be fair, you know, people did all kinds of things, so it's not like you can't paint with a broad brush and say everybody did this one thing. But I do think there was a lot of failure on behalf of the evangelical white Christian tribe. Um, And 
So I was just convicted. Like, wow, that's that's what our previous generation did. They did a thing very similar to to Peter. And it was a mix of sometimes they did it because of inconvenience and social fear. Sometimes they did it because of the fear of the KKK throwing bricks through their windows or, you know, setting things on fire. So sometimes there was serious bodily harm at play and sometimes it was just losing social standing. But I'd say either way, to not stand up for what's right is is bad, you know? So anyway, sorry, that was a long ramble. Mm-hmm. That's Good. okay. Uh, I was looking back at my notes. You said whether it was over preference or whether it was for fear of harm. Mm-hmm. So I guess whether actually being hateful mm-hmm. or just trying to avoid, mm-hmm. like, problems with yourself. Yeah. So are there instances today, I mean, I know racism is still a big thing, mm-hmm. And still needs to to be addressed, and mm-hmm. I guess fixed isn't the right word. But mm-hmm. are there things similar to that today that it's like, oh man, we're not standing up mm-hmm. for this like we should? Like I wish, you know, we could go back in time to civil rights time and make it right. But what can we make right today? Do you have something? What can like that? we do today? Oh no, that's good. So I think I I was focusing less on injustices we need to right. I was focusing more on hospitality and mission so in my mind i was thinking more like what does it look like to love people of other tribes and other races and so that was kind of what i was aiming at i don't think i did really enough homework to answer that well as far as like is there a is there a broken thing we need to stop breaking Um, but i think missionally as christians i talked about jesus left his neighborhood to come into our neighborhood Um, jesus left his comfort to come into our pain so I think that drives us as Christians to do that across the board. And I tried to clarify that, um, yes, as an organization, we're committed to that as a church. Like, we want to be the kind of church that reaches out and welcomes all kinds of people. And we will do that, and we'll, we'll keep kind of like tweaking things organizationally to try to be more hospitable to more kinds of people. But I wanted to just affirm and praise the individuals in our church for doing that well because so much of that work happens individually you just you meet a neighbor you have nothing in common you try to start a conversation you try to love them uh that that's a lot of this day in day out work of showing gospel kindness to people of other tribes and backgrounds um so that that became a conviction through our class this summer so through the class there was some debate in the class and one of the things in that what came class? uh we so we had this class this summer uh building a a healthy multi-ethnic church. It was just a book we read together. And part of the debate came because I think everybody in general was really excited about it. And then we had one or two people that were kind of questioning some of the assertions. And I think their main quibble was corporate versus individual. In their mind, it's way more effective to be individually engaged with people, but corporately a church can't, you know, be an organization that caters to everybody all at once. And I think that's kind of true, you know. <laughs> and so I was trying to trying to kind of note his his wisdom on that. Like he caught something that was very important. The other thing that that he caught was he felt like over the years when I've talked about racism, I've talked to our church as if our church is really broken. Because one of the things I've said over the years is we'd like to reach out to more different kinds of people, and we still would, and that is still a goal. But what I realized was I'd hurt some people in the process of making it sound like you're really broken. And the only reason we're not more multi-ethnic is because you're all racist, you know, and I never really said that directly, but I feel like that was what some people have absorbed. So it was real important for me to affirm 
the the good things that I saw in our body, which, you know, for the record, our church is a multi-ethnic church. I think the only reason I've wanted to see us become more multi-ethnic is our kind of our makeup doesn't really align with the statistical makeup of our zip code. So I've just thought, well, it'd be nice to look more like the neighborhood. Yeah, and I, I think we should. Mm-hmm. Um, something you said that I was going to touch on is doing it individually versus doing it corporately. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of want to clarify that who we are corporately is who we are mm. individually, right? So yeah. so all of they the individuals together. of our church make up who we are corporately. So if we're mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. individually working on it and doing it in our daily lives, like yeah. that's who we are corporately and that will shape what we look like on a Sunday morning, right? So if everybody mm-hmm. is loving their neighbor and mm-hmm. reaching bridging gaps, then mm-hmm. that's what it'll look like on Sunday morning. So like it's mm-hmm. it's not like it's two separate identities. Yeah. It it is one identity that makes they, they the merge. And organizations, you know, there's complicated factors. When I started the church, I shouldn't say I when I was a part of the group of people that helped start the church. By God's grace and for his glory. Um <laughs> we, <laughs> That was 13 years ago, and I think I thought in much more individualistic terms as a preacher, as a leader. I think my way of teaching and preaching was individuals love Jesus more, and then everything will work out. And I still essentially believe that. So just to affirm what you said, as individuals believe and trust Jesus more, that results in corporate change. But there's also a responsibility that shepherds have to to lead a group and say, hey, group, we're together as a group going in this direction. So over the years, I've tried to kind of add that in, particularly on this issue, and say, oh, this is important. We need to move in this direction. But I think that's probably confused people sometimes, because I do speak so much to the individual, and then all of a sudden, when I speak, hey, corporately, here's a goal, and then I jump back to speaking to individuals a lot, I think that that could just be disorienting to people. So. I think I, I mean, think I think that's the thing that fascinates me, too, and I, I think it's a, I see it as a conversation between the individual and, and the the corporation or the you know the the greater organization mm-hmm. and they should sharpen each other really mm-hmm. i mean yeah the individual convictions and actions should mm-hmm. should be brought into the conversation of is this who we are should we do more of this and then as the the leadership <laughs> oh big, love big fail chris that, that's my wife she said she wanted me to talk more about my family so <laughs> i should like pick that up but no yeah. love her hi you're uh, alive yeah, i'm gonna be in trouble now no um yeah, I, and I think that's the beautiful thing is that we should it should sharpen both things. And I do think, as we were talking too, it's healthy for to bring it home. Maybe for you know most people are a congregation member, a congregant, you know, a person in the congregation, and maybe not necessarily a leader. And um, so our view as a as a member of the church, our view of this organization does matter, right? Mm-hmm. Of like what is expected of me, but also what do I expect of this organization um, because I think I see a trend in American life a lot where it's me as an individual talking about what this some people higher up should be doing correctly you know we, you know Americans kind of yeah like consumerist co- view of the corporation yeah and there's and there's you know that's how our you know system of government is set up and so mm-hmm. but that's how we interact with smaller bodies as well and um, there's a danger there of saying um, yeah, we need to, as a church, be more multi-ethnic and not owning that as a person. But, yeah, it goes both directions, too. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good conversation to keep having. Well, and and partially I think it's we are a tribe, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we are a tribe 
this is from the text too, like right, mm-hmm. if you a Jew like would make would not be a Jew and then make the Greeks try and be a Jew, like mm-hmm. it's this big yeah. confusing so we we are a tribe, but mm-hmm. it's what the actual tribe we identify with is, I guess, so we're a tribe, mm-hmm. but our tribe is you know heavenly tribe, a tribe of mm-hmm. a royal priesthood, you know, so mm-hmm. I guess it already is multi ethnic too, so living in the reality that like Mm-hmm. The real tribe we belong to is multi-ethnic, yeah. and we're working towards mm-hmm. being w- looking more like what we actually look like. Right, right. So, I mean, Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9 kind of repeat the same vision of every tongue and tribe worshiping Jesus mm-hmm. together in heaven. So, that that's where we're headed, mm-hmm. and that reality is already quite real now. If you've ever done the, like, Perspectives on World Mission class or other varieties of that, they show, like... There's great videos you can get online too, where it shows the just geographical spread of Christianity. You know, moving from centered in Jerusalem, then centered around the Mediterranean, then centered around Europe, and then centered in uh, America, some to some degree, and Europe. And you know, like it kind of keeps shifting, and and so as Americans or sometimes other Europeans, well, and now is mm-hmm. Africa, right? Right, Isn't right. So we're like we now? grieve that it's it's retreating here, but it's actually growing all over the world. So yeah, it's growing in Africa and growing in Asia. It's like there's this incredible spread now all over the world where Christianity is truly the most multi-ethnic religion ever, period. There's no, <laughs> there's no contradicting that historically or sociolo- sociologically. Um, and so that that is the truth. That's the vision of heaven, and that is actually the worldwide truth now. And so it's just like, okay, what responsibility do we have to to live that out in the here and now? And I think Paul's point was, well, of course, racism and separation and fear uh, makes the gospel into a lie. It's it's actually breaking your ability to communicate the gospel. And so, I think what the hard work we have to do is saying, how much of our natural gathering with people that look like us is just affinity and natural and no big deal, and how much of it is actually confusing people about the gospel. And so. If, for me as a communicator, that's that's where the heart is for me. I want to preach the right gospel. And if we're doing things in such a way that are like mono-tribal, I guess you'd say, you know, mono-ethnic, like, no, you've got to be a master's degree educated white southerner, semi-reformed, blah 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 You know, like, if we're too narrow in our tribal alignments, in some ways that confuses the gospel, you know? And... I've struggled with that because I, I also know there's this realistic, well, you can't simultaneously broadcast your sermon in 50 languages. You know, so there's there are limits to what you can do, but I'm the type that wants to push those limits as much as possible. So. Well, and yeah, I mean, I mean, you were hinting on it, but mm-hmm. it's clear in the text that this is anti-gospel, not just confusing right. the gospel. Right, like, right. Like it is anti-gospel to not reach out and love mm-hmm. Yeah. Like somebody who's different than you, someone from a different tribe. Yeah. And to even retreat and like try and hide when your tribe comes. Like that's mm-hmm. what happened in the text. Yeah. So he's not just saying, Oh, you're confusing the gospel or oh you're making a little messed up. Like yeah. no, you are anti gospel if this yeah. is Condemned. this is what's happening. Not walking yeah. in line with the gospel. So I think it was wrong. And I, I tried to point out like it was out of fear, it was hypocrisy. He used to do one thing, now he does another thing. You know, so Paul's laying out the case logically, like all the components that help us recognize this is racism or tribalism. 
Um, well, I think you went to Acts mm-hmm. 10, and mm-hmm. in the second service, at least, mm-hmm. went way more into making sense of why it's condemned. You yeah. were like, God gave him this vision it was clear. multiple times. Yeah. It was clear, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just about food or mm-hmm. whatever, like... Because yeah. then it was, now go to these people and give them the gospel. And then the report that comes back from that is, mm-hmm. how, how could I not do this? The Spirit was clearly in mm-hmm. this, and the gospel clearly is for all people. Mm-hmm. Like, that was Peter's yeah. response, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah. clear that he knew. So, mm-hmm. there's not, not any confusion with it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Uh, just one, one quick thought. I've been pondering, you know, how do you build that... <laughs> What, mm-hmm. What's the methodology? What What are the steps you take to build mm-hmm. um, that world? Um, even like specifically for music, you know, I, mm-hmm. uh, we were, we t- had conversations about that. So mm-hmm. I'm the music guy. Going to talk about music, but uh, you know, when when you have different cultures who resonate with different styles of music, even um, I think more and more my my theory <laughs> that's still developing is is possibly. Um, that you're going to build a third way, you know, you're not mm. going to be, so say, so I'm a cock, I'm Caucasian, right? I'm, I'm not going to sit there and think long and hard enough to create some beautiful, perfect, um, version of my happy music that is, is, is like going to really resonate with an African American, um, but maybe together we can make something that neither of our cultures is, has had before that's slightly mm-hmm. slightly different than either thing um and i i i think that's when you know two different sides of of the story are coming together to build something that hasn't been there before mm-hmm. i think that's an interesting thing mm-hmm. um and a beautiful thing i don't i don't know that's the way it has to happen but um well i, mean, I think yeah. both of you also can learn each other's and and do each other's well together too right yeah. i mean maybe i'm wrong but that's kind of at the Acts 29 conference we were at. Mm. It wasn't necessarily like, here's a third way. I mean, there was people from all different ethnicities on the stage, but they all, you know, played each other's music. And mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there was some that it was, some this is a hybrid. But mm-hmm. mostly, I think, I think it mm-hmm. was a little bit of everybody's together. Yeah. yeah, and that did sound like I was saying, that did sound like I was saying kind of either or. I think I I see both. I mean, you don't you just get you more excited lose. about the idea of a new thing. Well, I'm interested in it. I don't mm-hmm. see it um, being talked about much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think mm-hmm. you don't lose you don't lose who you are. You don't lose what what resonates with you and where you come from. So you you know you do have those moments of just purely this is this is my jam. This is mm-hmm. you know who I am, and I'm bringing it to the table. Uh, you can't fake that, right? But mm-hmm. I do think I'm fascinated with the idea of a new humanity and what that looks like where it is it is many different people building something new together or really God building something new in them mm-hmm. that isn't isn't just like completely defined by what came before necessarily. You know, sure, it's, it's yeah. a new invention. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and I think in the history of music, that's led to some really cool yeah. music, you know, oh, and, yeah. and different genres are blended. It's pretty pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I feel like I always have to bring up when people talk about multi-ethnic worship, music specifically, is um, the idea of, uh, oh, the one body, many parts. And this really applies, I think, across the board to everything you do in church life. Part of the goal of being a healthy church is different people with different gifts 
using their gifts for God's glory in the church, you know? Mm. So, mm. so the more we have that, the more we can do that, you know, <laughs> the more we have a variety of gifts, the more we can use a variety of gifts. And so the more, um, variety and different ethnic backgrounds then are, uh, combining together in church life. And that's mm. a really good thing. The other thing I think is really important with music is that I think people assume, um, that worship leaders just do songs they like, you know, <laughs> and that's not true. <laughs> it drives me crazy. You know, it's like we're already trying to, as a preacher, and I know Chris as a worship leader, we're already trying to like meet people where they are, you know, so you're already, as a leader, you're already throwing out all kinds of preferences mm. constantly, like setting your preferences aside. Mm. And so I just think that's a backstory thing. It's helpful for people to understand that maybe aren't Christian leaders is, well, if you're a Christian leader that cares about reaching people, you're already setting aside your preferences to make things more understandable or more comprehensible or um, mm. not to freak people out for whatever reason, you know. I mean, that's what this section is all about, is setting mm -hmm. aside preferences mm -hmm. in order to, I guess, affirm your real identity, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. how you ended this section on Sunday, was talking yeah. about it's not about... Uh, I guess you said it comes down to trusting who Christ is and what he's done for me, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. establishing my true identity, mm -hmm. um, living in that, then my preferences don't matter. Mm -hmm. My preferences aren't my identity. You go on to yeah. that more in the sin section, I think, mm -hmm. so I don't want to mm. want to preview that too hard. <laughs> Spoiler but, alert. So it comes down to trusting who Christ is and mm -hmm. what he has done for me, yeah. then my preferences don't matter as much, right? Yeah, well, and I think I... I want to quibble with don't matter. That sounds a little strong, and that might have been what I said. But Well, I don't know if you said yeah, that, but I, I'm saying yeah. don't matter as much matter, yeah, is matter what less, I said, Matter so. less, yeah. Man, the, mm -hmm. I, I was thinking again, just putting putting <laughs> feet on this, uh, you know, walking this out, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. um, and and the two words that came come to mind for me are patience, mm -hmm. which we talked about before, um, and bravery. Mm -hmm. And I think... I think what's great is you see that modeled by by Christ. <laughs> he mm. he's very patient with sinners, uh, um, but he's also brave and he's also straightforward with people who just need to hear it straight. But he's I mean he's diving into um, to this messy situation. So that's the mm. bravery side. So I, I I wanted to reaffirm what I've seen here at Grace that I celebrate mm -hmm. is this this patience of like. An, an understanding spirit towards someone who's attempting to cross a boundary in a good way to reach across, I guess, mm -hmm. to a different tribe. And, um, and really there has been beautiful patience. I think the bravery side is one that I haven't thought about quite as much. Um, but again, using music as a metaphor. So if I come to uh, a service and, and there is a, a style of music that, that I may not, not resonate with, um, I need. I can be patient. That's good, and say, okay, I can learn this. But also, I can be brave enough to to not run away, to not just say, I'm done with this, man. Mm -hmm. There's no helping those guys. I could be brave enough to to bring what I know and my gift to the table and say, mm -hmm. Have you thought about this, or can I help you learn this? Um, and again, as a metaphor for all things, it's not just music, but um, being brave enough to humbly come with a different perspective. I think that's what we, a lot of what all, all of us can do. Mm -hmm. 
Well, being brave enough not just because of my own strength, right? Which Mm -hmm. leads to your second point about Mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not my work of being brave. It's Mm -hmm. my identity of Christ that allows me to be brave. So Mm -hmm. I only have two little notes on works. Maybe you all have more. But Mm -hmm. I guess the biggest part of your work section was your faith and works interaction slide. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? People love math symbols in church. And so (laughs) I wanted to bring that to me. Just for the people that can't see what's happening in here, both the other pastors are groaning and looking away as well, I say that. So the problem is that Dave made a slide and he didn't give it to Chris to make it look pretty. Uh, yes, it was so, so ugly. He's supposed to give them to Chris to make them look pretty. Chris is the slide prettier. And so he just put it up there on a Sunday morning and as soon as it went up, I think well, I was gonna say everyone, but it was probably only me and people Chris, recoiled. But I just like all my muscles tensed up and <laughs> i just felt so awkward it was it was kind of a combination of it said bad grammar chemistry symbols math symbols n- nothing really made sense so or the slide together. said faith equal to greater than <laughs> salvation plus works it was the first line on the slide it was supposed to be an error however it wasn't it wasn't an equal to or greater than sign. It yeah. was equal to and then a greater than. Yeah. So I finally realized it was an arrow. Yeah. And then it, arrow. then it felt a little better. But then I was still confused by your final one that said, mm-hmm. so, was it salvation oh. equals faith, parentheses, minus works, parentheses? <laughs> that did put it over the top. I, I think <laughs> I that's... Like, this is definitely math, but I don't know what kind of math <laughs> it is. Yeah. So... Oh. But, uh, let me put this down. I am a fan of more slides, period, for you, Dave. So even if they're ugly, keep keep soldiering yeah, on. Yeah, just send them to Chris ahead of time. And he'll say, hi, what does this mean? No, this is not going to be interesting to anybody who didn't see this. But yeah. That's right. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. I'm just going to keep saying we're doing things in show notes. i got to go edit leave it to the podcast because I had a slip of the tongue and misspoke um, as I was explaining the slide. But So the idea is that the biblical doctrine is faith leads to or... Weird, simple for arrow. Leads to. That's leads good. Leads to. Faith leads to salvation and good works. Mm. And good. that's the biblical doctrine. And probably the most simple summary is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where it says it's, you know, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith, by grace. Um, but then there's this, there are good works we do, you know, that are prepared in advance for us to do. So it kind of summarizes all that together. There's another false view, which is faith plus works is what saves us. And Galatians is the book that kind of hammers that most clearly, and that's what I was trying to address. And then there's this other false view that says faith leads to salvation with no respect to works, and works don't happen and don't matter. And James hammers that really hard. So I was just trying to kind of explain that, like, Galatians is hammering this one false teaching. James is hammering this other false teaching. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, I think, summarizes the whole thing pretty well. But our section was the section where Paul was just really emphasizing, it's not by works, it's not by works, right? Um, and when you read all of Galatians in context, it affirms that that bigger picture that, yeah, there are good works that are produced in our life over time as the Spirit moves in us. Um, mm-hmm. But the kind of diagnostic question I asked in that section that I think is helpful is, do you find yourself rehearsing your accomplishments? Mm-hmm. And if you're always spending your time rehearsing your accomplishments, that there's like a, it's an indicator that your heart is leaning that way. You know, it doesn't mean like, oh, automatically you're not a Christian, but um, it's a good indicator that you're maybe leaning into your works too much and 
I think it makes it hard for us to love people. You know, like it puts up a wall between us and the other. Uh, I used, I kind of joked about the the metaphor of, like, as a young man, I don't, I don't think I really do this as much now <laughs> as an older man, probably because I'm weak and rickety. But as a young man, I used to size other men up. It was like a weird competitiveness, like, hmm, I, you know, am I stronger than him? Could I take this guy? And I think we do that in a lot of different ways. Like, you know, have I beat these people in this area or have I excelled in this area? Um, and the less we put our identity in that competitive nature, I think the more we're able to love other people. Hmm. And you talked about the opposite of that too, though, right? So people who, oh man, I don't know how to say this, but it's a section where you were talking about, um, we, we're always like, yeah, God loves us, but we don't realize that God likes us. Mm. That was in that section too. And I think you were talking about the opposite of instead of like boasting in our works, like beating us, uh, ourselves up over mm-hmm. works, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Do you mm. remember that? Yeah, I definitely talked about that. I'm just confused now. I don't remember what section. I I do things out of order. It's a problem with my brain. Well, I took so. my notes in order. <laughs> okay. Um, Miniologically. That's gotcha. minute down the... Oh, chronologically. Nice. Um, chronologically. I don't know. I just had it in here, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, he said that, but what was it? And I thought it was when you were talking about works and how you know some of us really trust in our works and some of us... Mm. like really beat ourselves up over works and that mm-hmm. both are incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lack of a full full realization of the joy that God has in you in Christ. You know, I think I think I was really in my brain if I'm remembering now, I was trying to focus on what justification actually means. Mm, but I okay. think you're exactly right. It is it's also an application. So. Yeah, I think the way I've thought of it in the past is it frees the cross frees you from pride over your works and from shame over your works. Yeah, yeah. And I, the I, positive and the negative. Yeah, yeah. I, think I, I think. Yeah, we all experience both at different times, or mm-hmm. maybe one more. Um, yeah, and For that's sure. the beauty of it. So walk by faith, not sin, was your final point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mostly there you talked about true identity. Mm-hmm. That's where we hinted towards it with our spoiler earlier. Mm. But um, so saying that, I guess our culture, us in general, I think is who you were talking to. Mm-hmm. That true identity is what I want or what I feel is kind of what you you went yeah. with. That's that's what our culture would say. Our it's true identity a, a is danger, what I want. I what think I feel. we're lured towards. Yeah. And then you're talking about how you know our culture disagrees with the Bible. So, if I like it, it can't be wrong was kind of mm-hmm. what you were talking about. Um, I think gender and sexuality is the main area. I didn't really take the time to get into it because I was, I was hoping it was clear enough that it made sense and it could Well, and you were 25 minutes over on and your seminar. And I was very late, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. The nursery but, was screaming. But. but I think that's the clearest place, the clearest example, but it, you just find it across the board. Um, but where it really has its hooks in us is sexuality and kind of what I want, how I perceive myself, what feels good, what looks or feels or th- seems like pleasure is who I am. And it's just the weirdest thing to me. It's just so strange to me that that's where we've come as a culture. You know, I'm like, how did we get here? I, you know, I think it just kind of throws me off. It seems to me so obviously wrong, then it's confusing when I've, you know, I've got dear friends that just passionately believe that it's, and it's the mm. truest thing in the world to them so mm. it was interesting because at one point you just said um 
my true identity is what I want. Mm-hmm. And my crazy brain realized you can interpret that both ways, good mm-hmm. and bad. And I thought that was yeah. kind of fascinating. Um, so the bad way is that what I want is the core of my identity. Mm-hmm. And then the good way is to say our goals as Christians is to want our true mm-hmm. identity more than anything else. So like yeah. Jim Wilson preached on that two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was a beautiful way to think about it where like all my other desires that just spring up from inside of me are pushed out by this mm-hmm. desire to, to live out what Christ has already done for me. Um, yeah. So that was just a beautiful moment <laughs> for me just thinking, yeah. man, yeah, I want to want that more Psalm, than anything Psalm else. 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. And of course, Lewis's essay, the weight of glory is the whole idea that, um, you know, God wants us to praise him because that's actually good for us because he's actually the best thing in the universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. like God wants us to want him. So God inviting us to want him and to praise him and to adore him mm-hmm. is not selfishness. It's actually the most generous mm-hmm. act in the universe. And uh, then, of course, Piper has kind of made that famous over the last 20 years with his idea of Christian hedonism, that that actually we we glorify God the most when we desire him the most. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's there's there's this weird confusion where, in a way, hedonism is absolutely evil and wrong, and that's kind of where we are as a culture. But there's this Piper would say kind of Christian hedonism where oh, if we really understood that God was the greatest joy, then that would be the appropriate kind of hedonism. You know? mm-hmm. And it's such a hard it's such a hard thing. We talked a little bit after your after the sermon you did a sermon preview on thursday and we talked a little bit about that Mm -hmm. and i just i had been struck by the necessity of the holy spirit in this equation Mm -hmm. of actual real life-giving power and new desires and you know it's not just uh, a, a set of standards that we in our human effort now need to live up to it's we have the work of god the person of god inside of us and um yeah, I, I just I still wrestle with that all the time. Personally, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of like I call it like surrender, like a striving surrender. Like like you have to give up on your own ability to do things and to want the right things, but that's so hard. And and uh, so, what does walking by faith look like? Mm-hmm. I think. Um, like my wife and I will talk a lot about, man, I wish it didn't feel quite so desperate. Like it's quite so like, man, I can't get this right. But I, <laughs> at the same time, I, I think so often that's what real Christianity probably should look like is like, mm. why do I keep coming to an end to myself? This doesn't feel so good. I want to be really great. And mm-hmm. and I'm not. And I need I need the spirit to keep working and I need to pray and, and ask for other people's help. And um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what made me think of. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, <laughs> a life cycle. Mm. I feel like sometimes my greatest experience of God's goodness in worship is when I'm the saddest and the most broken. Mm. And that's like when worship really makes sense. Mm. And I, well, when I say worship, I guess I mean like singing mm. Jesus-centered music with mm. the church. But those experiences, Sunday was one of those experiences of. You know, I'm singing the gospel. Can't remember what the last song was. Uh, Build my life or uh, first so, service. We didn't get fourth song. Fourth song. Oh. What was it? 
something about Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> it's a good song choice, Chris. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was uh, My Victory. My Victory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Victory in the Cross. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm grieving over my mentor dying. He's on his deathbed, literally. Mm. And it just hit me so hard. You know, so when mm. you're hurting, when you're despairing of life, you're like, oh, the, the cross is really, really real. You know, mm. and there's this, this depth in our desperation that is, is beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And you would never choose that, but mm, that's yeah. the way it works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thanks again for listening to a special edition of the Grace Bible Church podcast. This is Sunday Recap, conversations about life and faith throughout the week based on our sermon this Sunday. Uh, remember to visit begrace.org slash podcast for more episodes about life and faith and our sermons uh, from Sunday. We'll see you next time.